What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to the Dapper Villains Podcast. I'm your host, Dana Bluen, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Jay Such Dave. Jay, what's hey, going what's on? Hey, what's up, everybody? How you today doing? we have a great guest. We have Matt Miller, aka Sunflower Man. He's a fashion artist. Uh, he's got a great Instagram. Link will be in the show notes. Some really fantastic work that he's done. Uh, I, I was actually kind of I got kind of lost in it last night going through it, preparing for the uh, for the interview. So this is a ton of fun just looking at the things that you do. So Matt, I'm super excited to have you with us. Thank you for taking the time. Yeah, guys, I'm excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Um, I know we're right now, like at the same time, this is perfect. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. the, those, the, right now, the time zones kind of work out good. We got this like a 11 to 12 hour shift with most people. So it's not bad. Yeah. Yeah. So Matt, uh, explain to the audience. I, I know I introduced you as a fashion artist, but th- th- there's a lot of nuance there. So could you just give us a little bit more like context and deeper understanding about what it is you do? Yeah, yeah, I'll try to be brief because I can uh, I can just meander for a while. Don't Basically, be brief. Don't need to be brief. Okay. Oh, that's the beauty of the podcast. You can go on and on. <laughs> yeah, you guys have given me permission, and you might regret that. Um, <laughs> I I did go on a car ride with Matt for about eight hours in one day, and uh, I believe we both uh, have learned everything about each other. We did like a yeah, podcast I- version. Matt knows all my crazy stories. If I die and you know, there's a need for a biography and uh, Matt, Matt right. can do it. Matt. Yeah, if we need somebody to write an obituary, I'm like, oh, I think I have all of uh, Jay's life stories <laughs> stored away somewhere. <laughs> we um, have to go from yeah. uh, where? From where to? From uh, Dallas to San Antonio and oh, back. Yeah. Yeah, in one day. Look, we went there and back. That's four hours there, four hours back. And we packed, what, six, seven hours in San Antonio? yeah yeah and then i dropped him off and drove an hour to fort worth so all right so explain to us give us more context on what you do give us the full unabbreviated unabridged rundown all right well we'll really get into it maybe i'll dig into a little bit of my history as well then um yeah honestly being a fashion illustrator changes all the time mostly because in the menswear industry there's been nobody doing fashion illustration for so long it was kind of a dead art uh for the longest time people would occasionally do it now and again and when i started way back 2012 2013 there was nobody else it was it was basically me and i didn't entirely know that at the time but i, I thought well i just dropped out of art school let's figure out what the world looks like i'm just going to do men's fashion illustration see where that takes me tumblr was huge at the time still instagram was just just starting to take off Um, so I, I got into hashtag menswear kind of after it had its biggest heyday, but I was really inspired by that and jumped right in. And, um, yeah, when nobody's doing the work, it's a bit of a double-edged sword. If there's nobody doing it, maybe there's a reason. Um, but I found, I found some space to just create what I wanted and there was so much room to do anything in men's fashion. So I just started painting images of men on old Sherlock Holmes book pages. That was kind of how it all started. And after that, and I, I painted on watercolors, I've painted on fabrics, I've done stuff for websites, lookbooks. Uh, I do a lot of live art for events, uh, which has actually hurt a lot recently because nobody has any live events right now. Yeah. Uh, especially in the US, my business is a lot more live events where overseas it's a lot more creating content for brands. 
as, as far as like their social media or their websites um, or other sort of graphics for in-store. Um, yeah, I guess it's, that's the gist. I bet we'll get into some of the different aspects of it a little bit more as we yeah. go through the conversation. <sighs> Oh, overseas. Uh, you even lived overseas for a while, right? You were in uh, Malaysia. Yeah, I was in Malaysia for three months. So my wife and I were in uh, Penang for three oh, months, which was really beautiful cool. Island. Beautiful island. We even took one of those little ferries to Langkawi. Yeah. And God, that was one of the scariest things ever. There's one way in and we went down to the bottom like level of this, this ferry and we're in the way back. The entire time I just kept thinking like, if this boat sinks we're dead there's no way we're getting to the front out of this tiny little entrance slash exit uh it was fun definitely a little bit scary as well Malaysia is <laughs> kind of my second home so i've spent a lot of time in kuala lumpur penang uh in yeah. Borneo. so i've been, been around nice. there quite a bit okay were, i'm were you drawing in malaysia Oh, I was I drawing in Malaysia. If I've ever been anywhere, you can just assume <laughs> I was drawing there. Uh, yeah, I did actually did some work. Well, not with Seven Friday, but I I did some Seven Friday artwork in Malaysia at the um, oh man, I can't remember the store name, but it's a, a independent watch uh, retailer that was in Malaysia. Uh, so I went to their store, did some live art, which was really great. Um, but I mean, that, and that was actual professional work in Malaysia, but most of the work I did while I was there was for all of my other clients, which is what happens everywhere. In Fort Worth, I don't really have clients here. My clients are elsewhere. Yeah. At what age did you start drawing? Oh, yeah. I uh, I like to tell people I was born with a pencil in my hand. So I've yeah. been drawing since before I had memories. Uh, it's just always been a part of me, a part of who I am. Um, I like to tell people I didn't choose art. There's a whole bit of a story there. Like art, I was already drawing before I had a conscious brain, before I knew that I existed. I was already drawing. So there was obviously something there that moved me. Um, and also made very conscious decisions to choose art for myself as well. In high school, I chose only art classes. I only applied to art schools. Uh, I'm not a the smartest person in the room, but I'm not dumb either. I graduated top five in my class at a 4.0 plus GPA. Like I could have done anything I wanted. Um, I very specifically chose art because I don't think I would have been happy doing anything else. You know, it, you know I grew up um, really studying like math and science. You know, I always liked like design and art, but you know, my family was very much like, oh, you have to do something that will give you a job later in life, become an engineer, become a computer scientist. You yeah, had God, Indian parents? What's that? <laughs> Did you have Indian parents, you sound like? <laughs> no, I'm not a doctor. <laughs> Your mom sounds like like my mom. <laughs> you know, so I, I'm, I'm, I wish I had had a little bit more flexibility to study art. I got into it in my 30s. Mm. You know, so I, came, I came to it late. Yeah. I like to tell people anybody can do what I'm doing. If you just put in the time, but that that's the thing. Like if I was drawing before I had memories, I obviously put in the time early on to have. Oh, there's the light coming back on. I don't know what's happening there. Yeah. Yeah. So our art is, is interesting. I have very white parents. They were just like, do whatever you want. Like get a job later on in life. We don't care. Live homeless. That's your choice. Um, yeah. So I just, I had to make my own decisions there. 
Yeah, and I think it's uh, you know, from at least my perspective, like you said, you, you have to put in the time. When you say anyone can do what you can do, right? I, I could say the same thing about what I do. You know, Jay could say the same thing about what he does. But you know, like like you said, it, it's about putting in time and and intent, right? When you practice, intent, when you yeah. put in the time, you have to have the intent to get better. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I I do a lot of like uh reading and and work in this idea of mastery, and you know the the idea of like the journey to becoming a master at something is is a long road paved with intent and trials and tribulations. And you don't make up your mind like uh, one day and just like, boom, there I am. I'm an artist. Like you, you like you yeah. said, you, you were born with that pencil and you were, you were making mistakes young so that you could, you could have the proficiency you have now. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's the 10,000 hour rule, but if you're doing those 10,000 hours without thinking or caring or yeah. without the intent, yeah, those are just wasted hours. Exactly. Yeah, sometimes it's without intent. Like, you know, no, no. Uh, I, this, this is um, a special project I did with Matt, um, uh, which is a uh, art po pocket square series based on uh, Mongolian uh, warriors. Okay. And uh, this is, this is uh, done on, a, on an app called Procreate where you could record the screen and, and it was, you know, it was kind of show the animation um, strokes, each, each strokes he's drawing. Yeah. Yeah. These time lapses are, are great. Sometimes I, I wish like I had a second camera that was actually capturing my hand movements at the same time. Uh, mm -hmm. It's a little bit more of an arduous process, but yeah, capturing the, the time. Oh, and that's just one moment I wasn't able to capture it, but procreate such an amazing tool for for any artist i avoided doing digital art oh i really avoided it i love watercolors that's my first love drawing and watercolors acrylics i love as well but wow there's something about that that the randomness the impossible to control nature of watercolors that i just like that chaos um but i, I had made a decision to get into digital just because i knew it was going to be necessary for me this was a year and a half ago and picked up the iPad, got Procreate, took about six months to really become proficient, to really understand the app of the program. And they're always adding on new new aspects of the program all the time, which is great. When I first used it, you couldn't make shapes. Like I could not make a perfect circle. That's a big tool for a digital application. And they've been around for a while by that point. Um, but shortly after they, they created uh, a way to make circles, squares, triangles, and to make those perfect shapes within the app. Um, but it's, it's a great tool. I use it every day now. A lot of my photo editing, I'll just kind of throw in a, an image in Procreate. It's not the best tool for photo editing, but if I'm already living in that world, it's just really kind of seamless. I use a lot of the, so I have an iPad Pro that I use for a lot of my design work as well. So I, I design like bags, hats, uh, things like what, that. I don't really do What app are you model. using? So I use uh, Adobe Draw. Ah, oh really? Yeah. Okay. Is the way is that one is that the vector program or is that the pixel? Yeah, it's the vector program. And then okay. I can pull that into uh Illustrator and, and tweak it there. But when I sit down, I I just, you know, I'll I'll grab the pencil and I'll just start start working on it. But I, I think I'm gonna check out Procreate because it sounds like uh you had quite a bit of success with it. Man, I love I love Procreate. Adobe really failed. I don't know what they were doing. They owned the creative market. And then they just let mobile, they just didn't do anything with mobile. They put up these really shitty apps 
yeah. way early on. And then Procreate comes in, Affinity comes in, they create these amazing apps that people now love. I, mm. I really like I the new Adobe Photoshop app that was supposed to be this great mobile application. Horrible. Terrible. Terrible. You know, I love Photoshop. I work in Photoshop. I do I do a lot of photography. My wife and I both do. And uh the Photoshop app is just so trash. Yeah. I mean, Photoshop itself is phenomenal. Agreed. Right. Photoshop and Lightroom are, are just so powerful. And when you, I think when you're in the Adobe suite, it makes it like, I was just talking with uh, one of the guys that, that we work with sometimes uh, that does some editing for us. So I was talking about like the, be able to take like your, your premiere pro video, pull the audio into audition, tweak it in audition, import it back into premiere pro, yeah. grab something from after effects, pull it right back in, do some stuff with Photoshop and all on one platform. It's phenomenal. But yeah, on the iPad, it's, yeah. it's a bit like schizophrenic. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, before I started using procreate, I think I was using Photoshop Rarely Illustrator, but Photoshop, Premiere, and Lightroom every day. Every day. But you weren't using I'm... an iPad back then, right? No. I no. remember kind of the, telling you, like, please, can you get the iPad? I really want you to use this program. <laughs> I want to record the strokes because, like, once we, if we record the strokes, right, it gives the art a lot more of a story on its own. Rather than like a straight up a static picture, like um, if you can pull up this thing on the screen, yeah, let's take a look at this. So that's the finished art, and it's dope, right? But like seeing what what it took to make it, to draw it, because now yeah. everything is available on Shutterstock, or people just rip things off on the internet, and and like for me to market an art, um, it's it's more than just the name of the artist. It's it's how long it took, how 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 much effort it took. You know, like Matt had to study a lot of things to come up with, you know, these series. He would listen to podcasts of about Mongolia and uh, how 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 big was the podcast? And it was your interest too, right? Yeah, and I, I had listened to the podcast uh, prior to us speaking about this project, so it was kismet. It was perfect. Uh, but it's the Dan Carlin's Hardcore History podcast where he just talks about basically historic wars but he was going over the the whole mongol empire starting with uh, genghis khan and I, the, the whole series was like 10 12 15 maybe 20 hours i don't know a ton of time to tell this history of this maybe best empire ever and they were, <laughs> they were crazy yeah and uh passed in a terrible way like i would have i think living in that time would have been hard but having to live when the mongols came through your town god that would have been just the worst unless but you were a mongol i mean unless you yeah, unless you were like reaping the benefits I, I i've never been to i haven't been to mongolia yet i keep uh telling jib that we should go and uh she she wants nothing to do with mongolia at all oh, no. yeah a lot of people like i i mean i like look at look at uh this particular one like this is so badass um it's it's a person yeah. of a, a yeah. It's a picture of a person uh, cutting someone's head off. But Mar uh, Matt, you you purposely made this uh, this part cartoonish, right? Like the yeah yeah. The so it, for for people who, who can't see it right now or just listening to the podcast, I'm imagining there's going to be some reference in the show notes or something to be able to find these images. Yeah. Um, 
But yeah, so the the head that was cut off, I, I made cartoonish. When you watch the video, you can see I had a more of like a realistic head, and it just felt too gruesome. I, I wanted to, <laughs> to add some uh, brevity, a little bit of a lightness to, to the illustration. Sword. The what? The Mongolian the, sword, that curved uh, sword. Uh, yeah, and and this part I found out later that it's it's actually realistic, you know. Did you like look into this before that like what the swords actually look like and what the armor looked like and stuff? Yeah. Yeah. I have uh, a ton of research I did like outside of the podcast. That was like a great background of history for it. Um, but then I, I researched as many images as I could. Um, a lot of um, there's a lot of history that's known about the Mongol Empire and, and how they did the things that they did. And the sword was is one of the common things like that is the sword that kind of like curved shape yep. uh, was a common tool. Um, so yeah, that was, that was important. The, the armor, probably not an exact representation, but it is close as I could find. I was pulling from this source and that source. Some of it's obviously embellished in certain ways to make the illustration more interesting. Uh, mm -hmm. But I think the, the basic core of it uh, is, is true to the heart of, of what things actually were. So in, there's a, a type of singing in Mongolia called Mongolian throat singing, where they, they create these. Uh, oh yeah, no. <laughs> and uh, recently, there's a um, a band that's become kind of popular online. I think they're called Totem Wolf, and it's like Ooh. a like a death metal band that does like Mongolian throat singing. Yo, that and, makes total uh, sense. <laughs> that makes total sense. Wow. Yeah, I need to listen to that now. <laughs> like this uh this one is kind of like an explosion of the armor or some something like it looks that like a, yeah, like a diagrammed view yeah, yeah. i i like I, I don't remember what i looked at as a kid but there were so many books i saw that had diagrams of things and that's always in the back of my mind uh but this is a a bit more of like a, a metaphor for what Genghis khan did he would take over a nation a tribe a group of people and he would destroy it almost completely but he would take the best parts and the best people to make his empire that much better there's a story of him defeating an army and the the general of that army was just so good at what he did he was like actually like i'm gonna kill everybody but if you want to join me and lead my armies uh please like please do that he was just because he was so good like why would you waste that talent yeah so yeah, then I, they, I would, they would take technologies I'm sure he said, please. <laughs> please, yeah. <laughs> I remember thank reading you. something a few years ago, something like 2% <laughs> of people in the world are related to one person and they think that's Genghis Khan. Yeah. Man. Uh, for, for terrible reasons, but yeah. <laughs> but imagine like that, like 2% of the population is related to one dude historically and yeah, is doing a lot of the raping and pillaging. Right, like he got to reap all of the rewards, and that empire was vast. That Mongol, that Mongol Empire. Yeah, if he lived only a little bit longer, he really could have had the entire world. And then, like eighty percent of us would be related to one dude. <laughs> yeah, we'd all be in horse meat. Uh, speaking but of, uh, it doesn't sound bad. This this one is this one is a bit more uh, gruesome, right? Like this one has no play in it. Yeah, yeah, we went we went for it on this one. The the figure is very dark uh, to represent not a single figure, but like the entirety of the Mongol arm 
uh, army. They were, as far as we can tell, the most skilled horseback warriors ever. It was their huge advantage. Um, but there was a, a story of when they took over this, I, I'm not going to get it all right. I'll give you the gist. This uh, Chinese nation, there were several Chinese nations at the time. And the histories of what were written when people went back to this area is just the ground was mush, but it's, it was mush with decomposing bodies. They killed everyone. Nobody could go to this area just for miles around. The stench was so overwhelming. People were dying. I don't know if that's an embellishment to the story, but you walk in and you die just because you're overwhelmed by the smell. And this is like months and months later. This isn't a couple of days afterward. They just completely annihilated the, the this Chinese nation because they decided to stand up against them and say, no, we're not going to bow down. No, you can't have our resources. So they destroyed everything and everyone. That's kind of, that's where this, this idea comes from. I really you like how you did the down. background too. Like the background is kind of like, it's like evening, but it's also like a fire going on. Yeah. And uh, like, if you see like the, the shadows of like these uh, soldiers behind the actual guy, uh, that's crazy. And why did you choose uh, the color um, turquoise? Oh, that one was, that, that, I hate to say it, that one was a little bit arbitrary. I loved how much it jumped out of the page uh, mm. from the purple and the orange. Mm. The purple and the orange are complementary, and then the the green blue sort of teal is going to be a strong contrast. So it jumped out, and, and it's bright as well. Um, yeah, I wanted that that border to jump out at you. With with this image and like that story you told, could you imagine like the sound of uh, like a hundred thousand oh Mongol God. warriors on horseback rushing towards oh your town? God. I would probably like I would be dead before they got there. Just a heart attack and be done. It just just that that sound of like the Mongol horde coming down on your village and your hundred thousand Mongols on horseback, you know, led by the greatest military mind of the time. Oh, yeah. Scary stuff. <laughs> yeah. If only we had more history though. Like we have a lot of history of what happened, but when you destroy an entire people. Yeah. Only only half the people get to write that history. And then people can come in afterward and write down what, what they experienced of the aftermath. But and so so much of the history is lost because you don't get this documentation. Um, it is. No. You know, and I know that even if you go to Mongolia today, I mean there's a lot of you know mythology and legend around Genghis Khan. They call him what Chinggis Khan? Something like that. Yeah, I pronounce it terribly wrong. Um so <laughs> I'm not gonna try and say Genghis Khan, but I think yeah. they say Chinggis something. Chinggis. Yeah. And uh, if, if you look at uh, this particular video, right, this is what Procreate lets you show. Um, it's, it's um, you know, and, and it's this is ready right away for social media. Like you can just, yeah, everything is recorded. But it's so cool yeah. to see this coming to life, though. You know, it's interesting to see your process here. Like, Jay, can you play that again? Oh, it's still sure. going. But like, uh, here? There, yeah, like if you look like, like, it's interesting to see your process map because I'm seeing, you know, the shapes come out. It's very roughed out, you know, and then I, I see you putting in the, like the shading and some of the background colors and, and then you're starting to build the detail up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're getting a really nice snapshot of what any, any painting I do 
kind of how it comes together. Even if I'm painting in watercolor, it's going to have that basic process with it as well. The pencil outline, so I know where my figures are going to go, my main shapes, and then you just have a wash of color. And I love doing that with watercolor as well, with acrylic as well. Cover the entire space with color, and you get a moment of chaos. I know where it's going, but it yeah. doesn't look like anything yet. And I love that moment where a all moment of chaos. Blinded. So now, uh, how do you like? At this, for example, sorry, sorry, Dana. At this stage, how do you know what's gonna be in what place? Like, do you prepare it first before you do it live? Like, like it seems like it's so what step by step. It's so chronological that okay, you're gonna do this at this step. You're gonna do this at this step. You're gonna do this at this step. Like, do you plan it yeah. before? Like, have you had tries before that? Okay, before you actually draw and procreate. Yeah, I don't know if you even have those actually, but yeah, I usually do. I must have sent you something way back when we were doing this project, but I usually do a series of color studies or sketches to kind of figure out where I want to go with the series. Um, mm -hmm. I'm going to send you those again as well. So you have those. I actually forgot I did color studies, but I always do. And I, um, those are still on the iPad. Um, yeah, I do. I do a lot of studies to kind of figure out where I want to go. But when I when I finish this one, I always leave a lot of detail to the end. Yeah. I don't work out the details in the study because for me, the process is so important. If I don't get to enjoy the creative process and the final work, it doesn't feel worth it. Piece. If I've already worked on the details in these other studies, um, there's no discovery anymore for me. There's no mystery. So I lose a lot of yeah. the joy and it, I, I get it like work is work, but I'm, doing what I love and I'm going to make sure I keep loving it. So I uh, always leave that, that mystery in there for me. So now with that process that you talked about, we see that on Instagram, it's about 10 seconds, right? And so we get this really quick snapshot, but what's your actual time frame that, that you spend to create that to the point where you feel like, okay, this is done. I'm talking all the way back to like your color study and all of that. Like what mm. how much time on one drawing? I, work in a variety of styles mm. so it, it's if i say a number right now that's not a blanket for everything i do yeah, ballpark ballpark yeah but for this series specifically any single one i can go back and look at the exact numbers of the time in the app that i was on any individual one of those paintings yeah. um, but from the time of like researching um doing the pencil drawings the color studies and then the final you're looking at 20 30 40 hours per illustration. Yeah. Um, yeah. Depending on how much uh, research goes on to each one or how much detail you put in each one. Now with that, that last step that we saw that kind of home stretch with that 10 seconds that we we're looking at there. Yeah. What, what is that? Like, so we saw that time lapse into 10 seconds, but what's, what's that actual time stamp? Um, you mean for that, for just that final painting? Yeah, just for for that that kind of home stretch of that that gets time lapse into ten seconds, mm. but I'm sure that wasn't like you didn't sit down and like like thirty minutes and bang that out. I'm sure there was quite a bit of time on that ten seconds. Yeah, well, in in this these videos that Procreate puts out, they're thirty seconds ish. Um, in the first twenty seconds, usually comprise the first seventy to eighty percent of the work, and then the last ten seconds which is a whole third of the video only comprises 10 to 15% usually. Um, so that last 10 seconds, you're actually seeing like a, 
a big chunk of time. It's a third about about a third of the work. Um, yeah, or I guess in the last five seconds. Goes into it. It, it's fun to be able to see this sort of time lapse that that is made taking this huge swath of work and condensed it into like like you said thirty seconds. Yeah, sometimes I hate it. I'm like, only 30 seconds? I kind of want to like feel like what, everything I did in this. Yeah. Uh, but attention spans just aren't quite there. I see Jay pulling something else up here. Oh, all right. Um, this is uh, like a series of uh, things that he did, but uh, let, me, let me share with you another tab because, um, okay. You know, it's always uh, good yeah. Jay sharing his screen because you, you never know what might pop up. <laughs> so this is an actual uh this is not any more uh, appropriate this is actually done live this is a painting okay. of uh waco the uh owner of uh the founder of the rake and um his two dogs uh in a field in montana uh, uh showing a middle finger holding a negroni so it's very specific uh and uh to uh, wearing uh my huddersfield textile suits yeah, well, and the dogs are holding the gronies as well. Oh, yeah, they are, aren't they? <laughs> uh, yeah, this is actually your uh, creative brainchild here, Jay. I think uh, you kind of were like, I want this and that. And I was like, all right, let's see what I can come up with. Um, so this is, this is a bespoke art. This is like uh, uh, me requesting Matt, like, hey, can we do this? Can we do this, this, this? And do you have uh, it's over your bed, Jay? Sorry? <laughs> no, actually, it was given to him for his 50th birthday. Like, these two dogs are not with him anymore. Oh. So I thought, you know, with with, a, with an art, you know, it's something you could live forever. So uh, nice. it would be, yeah. I mean, uh, he's not that much of an egomaniac to put his own photo in his room. So I said, okay, let's let's do it. Because <laughs> yeah. he's known for this line, which is like, cheers, motherfucker. And he would do that all the time. And um, so... The middle finger, that's why it was there. <laughs> nice. So before we move on with the uh, with the podcast, Matt, we do something where we ask all of our guests 10 questions, same mm. 10 questions for everyone. So we want to put you in the hot seat with these 10 oh, questions yeah. and uh, take a little right. break from the art talk for a minute and we will get back to it. Trust me. So are you ready, sir? I don't know. We're going to find out. Let's let's see how great these answers are. <laughs> All right. So our first question, you can only use one fabric for the rest of your days. Linen, mm -hmm. wool, or cotton. Which one and why? I um, I thought about this for just a little while. I, I like wool. I'm a wool guy. Uh, here, I grew up in Michigan. So... Yeah. I love layers. I love cool weather. Like if it, if it were up to me, I would probably live in like the northern lower peninsula of Michigan. I wouldn't go to the UP. You don't go to the UP if you're from the the lower peninsula. But I would live in the northern part where it's just a little bit cooler. I can layer all these wools. So and now we're, are we we're like throwing cashmere in there as well, right? It's a wool, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There's so much versatility. I what I don't see why I would wear anything else especially being from the climate I, didn't, I, I grew up in, the, the one I love the most, it, it's wall for me. But you live in Texas now, so until you move, that's going to be a tough transition. See, I keep trying to lie to myself that it's, <laughs> it's, not, it's not true. I'm not here. It's not hot. <laughs> like, I couldn't do it in Thailand either. I would die. Malaysia was yeah, terrible for that. 
And Bangkok's actually considerably hotter than uh, Penang, where you were. Okay. Yeah. No, I, so, I mean, you guys couldn't wear wool all the time, right? What Linen is probably the number Jay one you would choose? All the time. I have to. That's because I have to. Uh, otherwise, I'd <laughs> sure. be in uh, sh- uh, shorts and uh, <laughs> slippers. Like, like, I'll meet Jay for lunch on like a 120 degree day, and he's, he's wearing a wool jacket. <laughs> <laughs> Like, like, I'll be rocking like a like a, a really lightweight pair of jeans and a cotton shirt, and Jay shows up in a three piece, sweating <laughs> like sweating bullets. Yeah, that sounds about right. That's what you have to do when you're a middle class businessman. <laughs> Selling so fabric. Says, so he says. <laughs> Next question. Moving on. Your favorite menswear item and why? That one's tough. Um, <laughs> I want to answer it a couple different ways. So I, I have, like, I'm known for wearing a hat. Yeah. Not that I'm the first person to wear a hat, but it has become a part of my identity. Well, yeah, I, right? forgot, I, I forgot Very... I brought a hat just to wear it to do the podcast with you. <laughs> and yeah. now I have to wear headphones. So I... <laughs> yeah, that's Sorry, secretly why I have to use now. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think a watch. A watch is really my favorite men's wear item. I fell in love with watches several years ago i didn't grow up wearing a watch didn't know anybody who owned a watch growing up but once you get into menswear kind of another tangent you can go on is watches and i um i'll take over the segment for just a second so i did a project five six years ago called the 100 watches project and i just put out a call for entries i said send me your favorite watch your dream watch uh a watch you wish you had and tell me the story tell me why you love it tell me how you got it that's that's all I need. And I'm going to paint it. I'm going to do 100 of these in 100 days. And I got over 100 submissions. I did 100 paintings in 100 days. And I got 100 stories of why people love their watches. And it really made me fall in love with the romanticism of, of owning and wearing and being a part of the watch world. So for me, the watch is it's just important. Uh, I can't not have it. It's a, an emotional item more so than almost any other piece of of menswear you've made a whole instagram account just just about the uh drawing of watches too right it's um yeah sunflowerman.watches is another account that i have Uh, i don't i don't put a lot of time into it and sadly like watches is not a huge part of what i do it's maybe 20 30 percent of my workload each year is is watches um, so I did this for for Revolution Watch Magazine, a series of Patek Philippe watches. Um, and uh, I loved it. These are watercolor. I also do digital. But for me, uh, I have a dichotomy. For me, digital is still very kind of cold in a lot of ways. It doesn't have that emotion to it. It doesn't have the romanticism where watercolor is this tangible item. It has so much more wow. inherent beauty. So you're painting a watch with watercolor to me is is it's hard to do something more beautiful than that when we're talking about fashion and art. So um, what's your watch of choice? My watch of choice, well, part of that's a bank account option or uh, restriction, For sure, right? Um, but my my like my go-to watch, well, what I'm wearing right now is um, a vintage Seiko quartz watch. It was from, uh, as best I can tell, the late '80s. Um, I got it from a, from a grandfather and, uh, yeah, from the late eighties, um, it kind of doesn't work great, but it's that perfect size. I have smallish wrists. I like a small watch. I'm a, I'm a fan of the small watch. 
Uh, now also, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Cleric watches, C-L-E-R-C. They're dive watches. I actually haven't followed them in a little while, so I don't even know how they're handling the last several years, but they make these enormous dive watches. Like they're obscenely large. And I also kind of would really like to own one of those someday because uh, you can go like seriously diving with one of these watches and it's just like a giant brick. But would you wear it with a suit? I kind of think I would. No, I haven't obviously owned one. So it's hard to say like day to day what I do. I, in my head, I tell myself I would wear that every day. Um, you see, I have a huge wrist and I'm also a fan of small watches. I have a monster wrist. Yeah. But, but, like below 40 millimeters for sure. Yes. Very nice. See, I like that. I like it's it's a there's no inherent reason a big watch goes with big wrists, right? Yeah. 60 years ago, everybody wore a tiny watch. You couldn't get above 36 um, in width. Uh, yeah, everybody wore a tiny watch. And then the market demanded larger watches because for whatever reason, people were buying larger watches. I don't know. But we're we're kind of getting this like middle ground. The pilot's watch kind of brought in the era of big watches, right? Sure. And, but yeah, like I usually like a, if I'm looking at a watch, like 38 is usually the smallest I can find in a men's watch. But yeah, I would love yeah, to get a 36. Yeah. You know, you have to go vintage. Wrist. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So, so it's it's the most important item is the watch. We'll, we'll get there back. We will get back to watches on this list, so don't worry. But the next question is kind of a uh, yeah. fun one. That I work with denim a lot in my my design studio, and so I, I love to ask people. You know, is it ever okay for a guy to wear denim on denim on denim? Like you see the the Canadian tuxedo, or the guys who sometimes <laughs> you see people who are really into like heritage, like workwear. They will wear jeans with a denim shirt and a denim jacket and a denim hat and a denim vet, a denim scarf you know they'll go all yeah. out but you know that's a very decisive look so i always like to ask guys what, what's your take on it i mean it's kind of like a tweet on tweet on tweet right like yeah. it's kind of obscene but at the same time like if you can make it work i'm all for it right yeah. not opposed to it 100 i don't think i can do it like I, you wouldn't see me wearing all denim i just couldn't like either like i just wouldn't look good or i haven't figured out the right way to do it yet I'm very much of the same school of thought. Like I, I think there are people who pull it off tremendously well. I, I tend to keep my denim wares to one piece, maybe like a denim hat if I'm wearing jeans and I'm going out because it's mm. sunny hair, you know, and I, I have to cover my bald spot, so I almost always have a hat <laughs> on. But you know, like yeah, I, I try to keep it to one, but sometimes even like I, I gotta give respect to the guys who live in the tropics here in Southeast Asia who you see okay. them wearing. 6 ounce denim jeans with a 20 ounce denim jacket and a denim shirt they're just out there midday you know living the lifestyle i can't i mean technically it. think about it in, in southeast asia people move from one air condition to another air conditioned room so i went to denim day festival and there it's outside there's no air con anywhere and like I, I wore like my my 12 ounce uh salvage jeans and i, I think i just wore like a button up and uh, there was a dude there. He was wearing the, um, I think they're like a 32-ounce naked and famous denim jean. It's super heavy, crazy oh, stiff. And then he had a denim shirt and a denim jacket on, and he was wearing a, uh, a leather cowboy hat and leather boots. And I'm just <laughs> looking at this guy. It's like 110 degrees. And I'm just like, God damn, this guy's going to be dying. 
Like oh I, I'm dying and I'm wearing like a cotton shirt, you know? <laughs> I mean, when I, the humidity is, is the big issue. When I yeah. live in Malaysia, it's not hotter than Texas. Um, but even, even just like, it was the humidity. I could yeah. not go anywhere without just a t-shirt and shorts. That was my life. And you were in Penang. Penang's actually quite nice. It's like breezy sure. beach. Were you living in Georgetown or Batu Ferengi? Um, oh, no. We were so we were living in a, a Chinese apartment um, in town. Not George. I know it was in Georgetown. It wasn't in oh, like the big tourist area. It was in a local neighborhood. Okay. Um, I would walk to Georgetown occasionally. That or take an Uber. Um, yeah. get, actually, walking in Malaysia is really hard. I didn't <laughs> expect that. In Penang, it is because so if you're in Georgetown, you can walk around Georgetown, but sure. like you can't walk from Georgetown to like an other part of Penang. I've done it. I've done it, and it's not good. <laughs> we had in our neighborhood we, there was like this. I don't know why um, there was this abandoned sort of lot, and they had these metal kind of corrugated metal fences lined up yeah. just to block it off yeah. and we were walking back from the store to our apartment and we just saw this metal wall shaking and then this lizard jumps out and i'm like oh my god because i was like it's a komodo dragon which i knew there weren't any komodo dragons in malaysia but i'd never seen a lizard that big before and just like popped out from underneath ran at us realized there were people skittered around ran the other direction saw a bike coming and i don't remember what happened after that um is a monitor lizard, right? Yes. Yeah, 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 that's right. Um they can get big. They can get like two, three meters long. Yeah. It was it was enough that I was seriously frightened for my life. <laughs> when I first started dating uh my, my now wife, uh she was working at a university and I would go like meet her after work, but I would hang out at this cafe right outside her faculty. And it was like right on this little in, in Thailand, Malaysia too, they have this where they have all these little man-made locks to kind of control groundwater and it, it helps with evaporative cooling and stuff like that. And I'm sitting outside of this cafe, having a drink, working on my iPad, and I'm just kind of sitting down at the table working and I look down and there's a two and a half meter long monitor lizard under the table just looking up at me and not doing anything, right? It's, like, it's probably half asleep. And I freak out and I fall backwards on my chair and my, my coffee goes in the air and uh, the people next to me freak out because they see me freak out about the lizard. Now everyone sees it. The lizard like turns and runs away back into the water. But, you know, it's just like this random thing. And they're, I mean, they do like I've seen I, I've seen a monitor lizard eat a dog so that they do kill things. But at the same time, it's like they're, they're not really doing much. Yeah, and they actually seem more like seriously scared of people. So, yeah, yeah. So it's, let's monitor lizards aside. Let's uh, move on to the next question. <laughs> when it comes to tailoring in your personal style, do you like the the British, the Italian look, or, or do you prefer the good old American tailoring? I'm glad you said personal style because I think when I read this question earlier, it was like, which one is the best? That's how I read it. I was like, Ooh. what do you mean you read these questions earlier? You never saw it, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> take, take two. Take two. <laughs> You're a terrible liar. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. No, so it's not about. Are we still recording? 
<laughs> it's not about which is the best. It's about your like, what do you like? Yes. No, that's right. I think uh, I'm glad you said personal style. If you made me choose which one I thought was the best, mm. then I might be a little bit scared here. That's usually where that sort of question leads. If somebody had asked that another time yeah. in my life. Um, <laughs> So yeah, my personal style, I love the Italian style of tailoring, even like the the broad spectrum of Italian tailoring. There's something, uh, there's something beautiful about it. And when I lived in Italy, I really just envied everybody I saw on the street. I was like, that guy's amazing. That guy's amazing. That guy's awesome. In, in England, when I was, I lived in England for just a little while, um, suit game is strong. I just didn't like it as much. Like it's yeah. it's great. Like the history, the tradition, Savile Row. I I love it. Um, but there's something about the Italian tailoring. I I can't get over it. Yeah, you know, one of the things I appreciate a lot about Italian tailoring is, is there there's a lot of innovative things in Italian tailoring. Like you know, the pleated arm, like a pleated sleeve on a jacket. You know, like that that sort of ventless cut that you know it's, it seems very easy to wear. Yeah. But, and a lot of it's created around not just elegance, but movement, right? And like functionality. Mm. But there's something I like about like an American cut. Like I know a lot of people see it as unsophisticated, especially people who yeah. like British tailoring. Uh, but like to mm. me, like it, there's something uniquely American about American tailoring. But when you look at it, like, and to me, like British tailoring feels a bit stiff, a, a bit. Yeah, it looks good, but it's it's a bit hard. But when you look at Italian tailoring, there's always something like very innovative about mm. about it and very like elegant. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. I think you might be excited. I kind of think American style tailoring is is going to have a little bit of a, a resurgence here. Mm. People I've been talking to seem to be really inspired right now. A lot of it up on Instagram and on social with people putting up those old American ads. Uh, I think I think there's an appetite for it. So you might be happy here in the next couple of years, uh, but still, I, there's something like the Italian, I, and, and like I'm a I'm a fairly tall, slim guy, and I think Italians cater to that nice, like sleek look. Um, so yeah, that works out for me. Slim. Yeah. So. <laughs> I'm I'm like Matt. I'm like tall. Yeah, yeah Jay and I look look the same. Yeah, you guys have the same body type. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we share clothes. <laughs> <laughs> Jay's more like just a compressed version of me. Yeah. <laughs> like, like they took my body and crunched it down a foot, and that's Jay. You're like, here's some clothes from middle school. I can't fight though. Dana is an actual wrestler, but I, I can't fight. Oh wait, well, I didn't I'm, know. I'm a lover. I'm a lover, not a fighter, man. <laughs> Still call it being a lover when you pay for it. <laughs> with that, with that. An episode in a row where, where we bash jay well look when when the time comes for that obituary i'm telling you there are stories oh there are stories jay's eulogies are gonna be crazy <laughs> you know what he was doing the night before covid19 lockdown in bangkok Ooh, I don't want to know. I don't want to know. He was posting on Instagram. He was at a club, and then he was at a shisha bar sharing it with, like, some, like, really know, hot it, Listen, listen, Dana. It was a twerking competition. You know how important <laughs> that is? I did not know women here twerk. Like, a lot of Thai girls don't have a lot of, you know, it's not Ass. very. 
yeah, it's not very juicy. And uh, they, they tend to promote skinniness here, right? And then there's this twerking competition, and, and I just want to go and support them, you know? I, I go there for the art form, not for the ass alone, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, of yeah, course. It's the culture. It's about supporting the culture. The culture. I mean, these uh, really hot girls, and they said, "You want to go shisha?" I was like, "Yeah, let's go." <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll share COVID with you. I'll share for you. Fuck that shit. <laughs> <laughs> she was hot though. She was hot. <laughs> All right. So that was the day before we went into lockdown phase one. Mm. Like literally, like Ooh. six hours before lockdown. Wait, did you guys know this was coming? Yeah, it was announced the day before. I, I, to be fair, I have been uh, in quarantine and stayed home for like twenty days now in a row. And uh, how how long have have it been? Has it been for you? For me, I mean, my basic life is quarantine. So kind of, there's a a really blurred line there that I miss. Like we're in quarantine now. Uh, I guess I'll just stay home. (laughs) <laughs> my lifestyle hasn't really changed order yeah. take away listen to vinyl records and uh, play video games uh, and that's still, still the way <laughs> no, if you see the meme of like the guy playing video games is like 2019 guy stays at home all weekend playing video games is a loser 2020 is a social hero yeah he's yeah. a hero <laughs> yeah. alright so we're let's move on you know to so to a little bit back to the menswear side. So we already know like what your favorite piece is, right? Like you, you like the hat, you're a watch guy, but other than those, like what's your favorite accessory and why? Mm. Mm. Other than those. Ooh. Cause you're already, I you're I was already gonna get... out. So now I need to, I need to like restrain your answers a bit. Smart. Very smart. I like, uh, so very recently, recently, like the last couple of years I've started wearing rings which I never really did. Like I, so I'm married, uh, but I don't have a wedding ring. Um, I've had multiple wedding rings and I've lost them all in Croatia different times. Um, so was it a twerking competition too? It, they were both twerking competitions. I won one. Uh, we won't talk about the other one. Uh, yeah. So, but I, but I started collecting rings in spite of my ability or my inability to keep them. Uh, so I'm kind of down to just this one now, which mm. is disappointing, but I, I love it. Uh, captures attention. It's made in, in London. Um, I can never pronounce the name of the company. I, I'm not even going to try, um, but it's made in London. I'll, I'll tell you guys later what it is, um, or I'll text you later so is you know what like, it is. Is that a signet ring? It's a signet ring. Yeah, it's a compass signet ring. Um, I, I'm going to hold up to the camera and see if this this does anything. Ooh, there it is. Okay. So it has a one jewel in the center, and it's a compass signet ring, uh, which I I like in the general sense. It has the cardinal and the um, ordinal. What? I'm trying to remember cardinal directions and what are, what's the other one? Ordinal directions? I don't remember. Sure. Yeah, it's and it's very similar to a watch, right? Uh, it's circular, it's going around, but you're still pointing out these indices along the way. Uh, now I just sound dumb. I like rings. <laughs> you know, you know it's very interesting? You like rings so much. <laughs> I like the ring. 
<laughs> you know, it's interesting. You are now our third guest in a row to talk about uh, your favorite oh, really? signet ring. Oh, ooh. can I change my answer? Then? No, this is great. This is great. I like that. My precious. <laughs> yeah. And Lord I love Lord of the Rings. Oh. <laughs> I tried to watch that shit. I couldn't watch a lot of you, you identified too much with Gollum. And you're like, no, too, <laughs> too much. You're being skinny and all. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I have a full set of hair. I don't need a fucking hat. <laughs> wow. Ooh, oh. That hurts. <laughs> when we get off quarantine in three months, I'm going to whoop your ass. <laughs> if you remember, I'll be nice to you right now. <laughs> you forget it. <laughs> I'm going to break that shit down on post. I have eight more shows to do with you. So, let's get back to um, we're going to go back to watches and I know you talked about the emotional connection that you have with watches and, and like the sort of the romantic side of it and so our next question is always you know how on point should a watch uh, should a man's watch game be um how on point it's such it I feel like it presupposes a certain understanding of the watch world to have a watch that's on point. Mm. The watch world and the, the suit world are tangential and they cross over in a small way, but they're such different spaces. Mm. Uh, to compare one person's, like if you're, if you're a fashion guy and you love suits and you're like, I need a watch to kind of round out that style, you're gonna pick a different watch than somebody who's like, I love watches and I know everything there is to know about watches. You're gonna pick a different watch. It's just the way it is. So to be on point, with your watch choice, it's so relative. And yeah. that's gonna be the, that, that's how most of my answers to questions go. It's all relative. Uh, that's the, my, my headspace. But it, but it really, like, I understand a person based on the watch that they're wearing. Yeah. Um, when I met Jay, I was like, oh, we're probably not gonna be friends, look at his watch or lack thereof. <laughs> uh, I was like, okay, you know, his, I, I, get, I get where he's coming from. Um, I told you my Peru and Bolivia stories, and you can get over. <laughs> I was like, okay, he's okay, he's okay. I don't even remember what I was wearing. I, I I'm not into watches before this, but uh, now that I started buying some, and it's like it's an expensive hobby, uh, a, a luxury, whatever it's the luxury. fuck. Yeah, yeah it's a yeah. yeah. But at the same time, it. like it doesn't have to be. Yeah, it it doesn't have to be. You're right. Like well, if, I like picked up yeah. on the, the the sort of vagueness of the or, or the the specificity of the term on point that we specifically chose for for watch game because yeah you know everyone views it differently right you talked about the sort of romantic connection with with your watches and like you have a an old quartz seiko you know that that you love and some people it's all about like that grail piece of in, in their watch collection they want a patek they yeah. want this crazy like sixty thousand, hundred thousand dollar watch, and some people want a piece because it has some significance to them in some other way. Yeah, yeah. Or it has uniqueness in some way to them, and so you know, being on point is like you said, different and relative to everyone. Yeah. Well, I met so like an example is at a trade. This gorgeous vintage Patek Calatrava. Um, and I like I went up to him because like I, he's not just wearing this watch just to wear a watch. Like you don't wear a vintage 
Patek Kalachava for no reason. Yeah. So we started talking to him and he didn't really know anything about it. He was just like, oh yeah, this was my dad's watch. I was like, oh, amazing. <laughs> so like, I was about to think this guy's game was on point. But for me, if the story's not there, if there's no understanding, if you, yeah. he, he got it from his father. Like I, I respect that. But for me, that was just like more a consequence of being born rather than of being a person that cares about the watch that they have. Um, so for me, like it ended up being like not that on point. Like it didn't on, on the surface it added to his look, but when I got to know a little bit more about him, it, it kind of took away for me actually. You're starting to sound smarter now, Matt. Oh, and I we're not talking about rings anymore. <laughs> I like rings. It was more about the connection for him, though. Yeah, and it could have been. We didn't have a deep conversation. Um, I'm definitely judging him hard. I judge people with watches, like I just yeah. did with Jay a second ago, hard. Like. Um, I think people, yeah, the story is very important. Like the story is almost like a talking piece. Like, um, yeah. If it's just like a guy said, "Oh, I got it from my dad," it's or I bought it because it has great resale value. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, well, um, a lot of people buy watches as investments. Yeah. You know, and that's like, like I have friends who are very into the like the business or the investment side of watches, buying watches because they believe they'll appreciate in value. And and those are people who really geek geek out about like the uh, complications or the you know the metals and all this other stuff the movements and you know they they buy them and never wear them. Yeah, and for me to own something that you're never gonna wear is kind of weird. Yeah, I mean it's like the high end art market as well. Yeah, so many people buy these pieces just because they it's a name that they know will probably go up in value. Um, there's a not always an appreciation for well, your the work you uh, Yeah, you should buy some right now. It's going to go way up. <laughs> I already have 10. It's okay. He's got that photo hanging over his bed, the, the painting. The Mongolia? Yeah. <laughs> no, uh, no, what's the uh, way? No, oh, the way? Oh, yeah, yeah. Me. No, that one's not with me. Yeah, it's you with say him. that you give it to Way, but it's really <laughs> yeah. your bed. You look at it every night before you go to sleep. Where's the proof? Where's the proof? Yeah, I, should, I should just use the hat to like, uh, whenever Dana is an asshole, I'll just use the hat to go around. <laughs> so we're never going to see your face. All the time. <laughs> they just take a shot every time. <laughs> Jay's face is blocked the whole podcast. <laughs> but let's uh, move on. You know, as someone who's an illustrator and an artist, I think this is going to be an interesting one to get your answer from. And it's who is the style icon that you most look up to? Mm, mm, I've been asked this question before, and this is a tough one for me. I will dig a little bit more into my history again. I grew up no sense of style. I didn't know anybody who had style. Mm. I grew up in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Like the city itself doesn't have style. It does yeah. now. I'm not going to lie. It does now. And I love my hometown. But growing up, no style. Uh, so I had no relation. I moved to Atlanta and that's when I started getting into menswear. Um, but for me, I looked up to my peers who were doing interesting things with fashion. A lot of them end up living in, in New York now. Uh, Denny, Steven, uh, even Blake in LA. These guys can really make anything look awesome. Eli, actually, Eli Infante as well in, in New York. Um, 
they make anything look awesome. So I actually learned a lot from watching them because they would take this thing and that thing and they would just look great. And I can't do that. Uh, but I would start to learn kind of how they put things together, which informed my style so much. And I know for a fact that they are, they're all inspired by the history of menswear, uh, history of fashion, the history of uh, cinema culture. Um, so I know I'm being indirectly influenced by a lot of these style icons. Uh, but for me, like personally, it's, it's the contemporaries in my field who are really pushing me um, and inspiring me. Nice. Good answer. Very, very like a uh, very personal answer as opposed to just yeah. throwing out a big name. A non-ring uh, answer. Almost yeah. like you have time to prepare these answers. <laughs> no, 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 no. You get, yeah. get to think about it. <laughs> so, so our next one, you know, how formal should a man be on a daily basis? Mm. Mm, okay. Great question. I love this question because it's such, there's so much turmoil, I feel like, especially in the high-end like men's fashion world, like, oh, guys should be dressing up. They should be respecting other people with the way that they dress. Uh, and honestly, like, I think most of that's just bullshit. Nice. Why, why should I have to wear a suit to every occasion? Because you think that the traditions of the past demand that I have to wear a suit now. When culture is moving in a new direction, why should I have to be stuck with old rules, especially with fashion, art, culture? These are evolving living things. These are not things that inherently are away, right? A suit was not there with the first man. We invented suits only a couple hundred years ago. Suits are, why is a suit the way to respect people? It's a little bit mm. arrogant in my, in, in my view. I love suits though. So mm. for me, I wear a suit to any and every occasion. But the idea that a man should be dressed a certain way, I don't know. I think cultures move to a point where you don't really have to dress. I mean, there are certain occasions where you will get like laughed out of the room or people won't respect you. You have to like read the room, yeah. right? Uh, so you like understand where things are, but the the idea that you should have to be, and I'm saying this because I've had some conversations with people over the last couple of years where the whole conversation is guys need to learn how to dress better so they can, I don't know. I honestly, like I have a hard time understanding this, this sense of demanding guys wearing suits. And I, I, I think I'm reacting to that. I don't think that's what you were saying necessarily. I'm reacting to something else going on in my life here. Yeah, no, um, I, want, I want your visceral answer, though. I mean, so I, I appreciate it. And I, I think you brought up a point that's really important, that fashion and style are living, evolving things. And so is culture. And, you know, we're moving in. We're in a, a, a world that's really moving towards a less formal culture. And I think it makes, you know, formal dress a more something a little bit more special to the individual, right? Mm -hmm. And like I, I was an engineer for a long time and as an engineer, I wore, you know, a hoodie and a t-shirt and jeans to work every day. Mm -hmm. And it's very comfortable, but at the same time, you know, when you add, when you elevate what you do, maybe not to like, you know, I'm not trying to wear a tux every day, but when you elevate what you're wearing, right? It elevates you a little bit as well. Yeah. So you can, 
you can inject it and not be super formal. A hundred percent. When I started wearing suits, when I lived in Atlanta, I started wearing them because I was working at a pizzeria and they had me doing door-to-door sales for the wholesale business. That's when I started wearing suits. Um, I was already interested in fashion, so it gave me an excuse to try to experiment. But like, what I the way people reacted to me was a 180. They would yeah. see me and smile at me. And I was like, well, and it was just me in the room. So they were obviously smiling at me. I was like, I, people don't do that with me. Um, but the suit, it really changes people's response, especially in the Western world when the suit is, it has so much cultural influence. Um, so again, read the room, right? Like a suit can give you power in our culture, right? People are going to look at you a different way. You're going to look, be seen maybe as more successful, maybe as more stylish, depending on the suit, depending on the look, depending on maybe even the brand, whatever. Uh, it has power. I'm not going to say it doesn't. Um, but on the other side, the idea that you have to wear a suit mm-hmm. to to fit in in this world that it just doesn't make any sense now i know jay's favorite word in any language is spezzatura ah. uh, I, i think there's something actually very special about spezzatura it's not okay i have to bring out the fucking hat to yeah. <laughs> But Jay, Jay has really educated me on this, this concept of spezzatura. And I, I think it's something where you can really add a lot of formality to your, your dress, but still appear very casual. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that there's something really beautiful about that sort of effortless concept. Yeah. Oh, I love spezzatura. Like Italian culture, yeah. one of my favorite cultures. The language, the food, the people, the fashion. The food. I mean, you have been to Pitti, uh, Umo, right, uh, Matt? Which is in Florence. It's like a menswear kind of like a like how uh, like like the CS convention of menswear, right? And um, <laughs> yeah. sometimes, like in Pitti, they try. There are a lot of people who who try way too hard to be photographed, and uh, they end up dressing way too much. But outside yeah. of the, the city itself, like the people in the city, oh my god, they they dress that way for real like because they have it has to be functional and they're not forced yeah. but because you know they they have a great tailor next door they make suits and they wear it and, yeah. and for me, like that's that's what spritzatura is like it's just natural it's not trying too hard yeah yeah 100 i mean milan you see it all over the place uh rome i feel like i didn't see it quite as much uh But yeah, especially like Florence, Milan, Naples, this, this, you know, there's a strong tradition of style and clothing, but that spreads the tour, the way that it just feels like it's every day. Like it feels yeah. like maybe they could be in joggers um, and a t-shirt because it's just, it's just effortless. They just kind of throw it on, but they, oh man, they look so good. God, they look so good. Why? <laughs> frustrating why <laughs> so yeah. you know kind of keeping with this idea of of style and formality and in what society demands of us you know to tie or not to tie that is the question uh yes see i'm the only one here with a tie on yeah um, with no pants on <laughs> uh, we won't we won't turn the camera on. To wear pants we won't t- <laughs> but i'm wearing a tie Yeah. I'm wearing a tie. Uh, ties are one of the stupidest things people have ever invented. Useless. No purpose at all. 
one of my favorite things in the world. <laughs> like it doesn't beat a watch, doesn't beat rings. But God, I just love a tie. The, again, I, I don't understand it. I I understand the history of it, right? Like it it evolved. It's it's really a vestigial artifact now, right? It's like a tailbone. You don't yeah. you don't need it, but it's there, and you can't get rid of it. But I actually love it. It's so oh, it's so nice. There's something about a knot. I'm I can't explain it because it's dumb. It really is stupid, but it's yeah. amazing. <laughs> I'm kind of on the you know I I, I love bow ties actually. I'm a I don't like bow ties regular, are great. Bo, love bow ties. Yes. Ah, uh, when I first got into menswear, no reason at all. No reason. None. No. No re Yeah. Yeah. To tie or not to tie, do yeah. whatever you want. But I suggest wearing a tie because it's pretty awesome. You know, the, the other thing is like sometimes it's just it's nice not to wear one. Or yeah. it's like, we had a we talked to Natty Adams the other day, and he was saying that the tie is the one thing that you can use to make a statement, whether you mm. wear it or not. Yeah, mm. that was powerful. That was powerful. Yeah, that is powerful. Yeah, I never it's thought true. about ties that way, but it's no, it's one hundred percent true. Whether yeah. you wear one or whether a you very beautiful wear one. tie, he was wearing yeah. a white suit, but the tie said everything. Mm. Mm. Or not wearing a tie says sometimes even more than wearing one. Says yeah. I have very hairy chest hair. That's what we're <laughs> about Andrew Yang and his his choice not to wear a tie in the uh, debate. Right. Right. Oh yeah, because politics. Like there's there is a uniform to politics. Yeah. And if you yeah. say no, no uniform for me, or yeah, I'll wear the uniform, but I'm just not gonna wear that one piece of the uniform. It's kind yeah. of like you're spitting in everybody's face. Everybody still liked Andrew Yang, so he did it the I right way. Backed Biden. What was that? I, I liked him until he uh he backed, he backed Biden. It's kind of like a yeah, it's like like that move where it's just an obvious move. Uh, well it's like a, it's like Bernie at the end of 2016 like sometimes you you do what you feel like you have to do yeah whether or not you feel like it was the choice you wanted to make yeah and i just i just lost a lot of respect for andrew yang when he like he just kind of folded and, and followed everyone else at that point and you know that was but the tie thing i pre i appreciated i still got respect for his no tie yeah yeah <laughs> if you meet him in person you can at least tell him that yeah <laughs> I don't respect you at all, bro. <laughs> you're still out, but I you're like still the out, but I like yeah. and Natty Adams said your suits are too tight. <laughs> yeah, I, I, <laughs> it's a cheap to supply suits. <laughs> so last question in the 10. Ooh, you know, right. round out this chunk. You know, if you think of a a movie character, you know, throughout cinema, the history of cinema, mm -hmm. which one you know, really has their their menswear game on lock. Oof. Do I have is this a multiple choice or am I yeah, picking? It could be multiples. I mean you can you can throw out anyone you want. Ooh. Oh, let's see here. Okay. I'm not really a movie buff. Okay. So I'm gonna try and answer this. Uh, but it might be another ring scenario. Um where I start out strong and then it just, it just <laughs> died. Uh, oof. I don't know. I almost, uh, this, maybe this is a tie scenario. Not saying anything says everything. Uh, <laughs> I like every movie character. Is that what you're trying to say? <laughs> no, 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 no. I don't like because, any movie character. 
at all. <laughs> Here, here's my debate. Maybe people listening were like, oh, yeah, Sunflower Man, he's like knowledgeable about some things. I kind of respect his, his viewpoint on fashion. After the twerking competition story, everybody left already. So it's okay. <laughs> oh, they're done. Oh, so I can say anything. Yeah. <laughs> I just feel like this is going to be the make or break question. Uh, do, uh, <clears throat> if only I had these questions ahead of time, I could have looked it up. <laughs> You're realistic, very realistic. Uh, yeah. He pulls his notes out. Getting started. <laughs> like when when we first did the podcast, I, I was texting that I had 45 minutes. I was like, hey, it's about to be an hour. And like, JJ, it gets better as longer uh, as it goes. So yeah. I hope you yeah. have a breakdown in 15 minutes. Uh, <laughs> we started hearing your dark side stories uh, when you were pizza wholesale mm. wholesale guy. You were selling pizza wholesale? Commercial. Co it was more it was um did I say I may have said wholesale? What I what I meant was um, catering. That's the word. Yeah, I love um, pizza. <laughs> I love pizza. Look, pizza's good. <laughs> pizza's pizza real good. Ooh, all right. Look that that. Oh, all right. <laughs> that is that is the uh, coronavirus diet right there. Pizza today and <laughs> tomorrow pizza. Yeah. I have wine at 11 a.m. <laughs> the best pizza I've had anywhere in the world, better than the U.S., better than Europe, is actually here in Bangkok. Ooh, really? Yeah. Because it, it's just you know, it's uh this this Italian spot in Oslo called Pala, and it's like a little little spot under the uh, under the train, but you know they've got this slow rise, like 48 hour dough. It's thick, thick crust. And, you know they they cook it on a slab, comes right out of the oven. You know, great pizza, okay. yeah. phenomenal. You know, like when I was in Naples, I I, I distributed for a fabric brand in Naples uh, called Cachopoli. And it was kind of like a training I had to go through. And uh, they wanted me to <laughs> try different things to understand what being a Neapolitan is, you know. So uh, eating pizza was very important. And I would hang out with like five, six different uh, important clients and stuff uh, in Naples. And, and everybody took me to pizza. And it was kind oh, of like, wow. oh, you're a foreigner, you probably want pizza. But then they would never let me order anything else other than a margarita. <laughs> so I was like, can I put some fucking pineapple into this shit? I don't give a fuck anymore. I don't want authenticity. I want fake shit. Can I get some? Can I get some American style pizza? Hut? Like, Jesus, you got Domino's? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because again, every time I have a fucking margarita, I have to pretend it's like, oh my god, this is the first time, and it's amazing. It's kind of like how Matt is answering questions. Like it's like, oh wow, I didn't know this was coming. Actually, so back to our movie question. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> movie question. Um. I. I honestly don't know. Okay. Lord of the Rings. Yes. Aragorn <laughs> had the best style. Now, Frodo gave him a run for his money. Uh, he went for more of like a hobo chic. Um, but Aragorn had that. What's the all white character guy? Uh, the old guy. What's his name? The the guy yeah. with the hair and the beard. Well, there are, two, there are two 
at, at a certain point, there are two wizards with white beards um, who were white wizards. So there was Gandalf. Gandalf. And there was, okay. I mean, so what did you say? That's racist? <laughs> Gandalf did not have a KKK sign on him and like he did not wear a confederate flag how is Gandalf racist <laughs> he's not even human <laughs> so they're from middle earth right is, they're from middle earth and technically a wizard is not a person they're kind of made <laughs> by the gods they're, they have some weird backstory but um, so they could be All right, they so could have Gandalf their own What's uh, a Sprizzatura character uh, uh, oh, movie? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Here, I'll tell I'll tell you I'll tell you this. I love the TV show White Collar. I love okay. it. Not a great script. Not the best acting in the world. Um, and honestly, like the style, super dated. When you look back on it now, you look in like, okay, cool suit, but like, oof, very much of the moment. But I love I love everything about the style of of the main character really everybody else is is intentionally made to be kind of uh terrible looking just with like uh, basic boxy suits but we'll go with that uh neil neil what's his what's the character's name Harris? no that's the neil pa oh ooh. it was the it was kind of a tv show based on um there was a movie catch me if you can uh I Same don't think that's character. the name of it. Is it called Frank, Catch Me If You Can? Uh, Catch Me If You Can was Frank Abengale. And I think yeah. the character in White Collar was based on Frank Abengale. See, there's another movie with the guy who played 007, Pierce Brosnan. Okay. He was in a movie where he was almost exactly the same character as Neil Caffrey in the show White Collar. Okay. Uh, and when I watched this movie, I had no idea, but I was like, oh my God, did they just like rip off the movie and turn it into a TV show? But I could see how, how Abingdale was actually inspiration. Um, and I can't remember the name of the movie. Pierce Brosnan was the character. Um, he was like an art forger, but he was a banker. I don't know. I don't remember the name the, of it. Is that the, the Panama Taylor or Taylor of Panama or something? Ooh, I know it's, it's an older movie. Sling, um, Blade, Lawnmower Man, hey, um, Taylor, Lawnmower Man. There's um, nice. There's one movie, uh, that that's the name of, yeah. All right, so fuck it. I'm not a movie buff guy either. Did, did if I think about it, video, I'd be able to. What's Sorry? that? Sorry. Well, did did you lose video? What were you saying? No, I'm okay. No, you're good. You froze for oh, a okay. second, but you're good. Oh, um, I froze. Okay. Yeah, kind of. Sorry about that. Jay was saying something and then everyone freaked out. Yeah, it happens. <laughs> yeah, All right. <laughs> so now we, we've, we've gotten through those 10. Now we go back. Now I, want, I have a few more questions about like your, uh, your background, not your background, but your work in illustration and art. Mm. You know, when I, when I go through the, the sunflower man, Instagram, you know, th there's kind of a range of, of mediums, I guess. Mm -hmm. You know, and I know you've talked about like really enjoying watercolor and how digital's cold to you a bit. Mm -hmm. You know, you know, what? Why is that? 
there there's a human it's uh, there's a nature to humanity we like tangible things um yeah. we like the warmth of a, a painting on the wall of mm. light coming in through the window uh, honestly led lights shining in your eyes all the time that stresses your brain it stresses your eyes it's not great so when you're staring at this digital thing all the time it can be beautiful it can be a masterpiece but i feel like it lacks some of that humanity um and i'm sure i'll change my mind at some point when i become critically acclaimed for all of my digital work and i'll say how digital is the best um <laughs> we'll delete uh, this happens don't we'll delete, we'll just scrub this from the internet <laughs> uh but no there, there's something something so moving Mm. about a, an actual object in the world um i think i think that's it uh i love and again watercolors there's there's chaos watercolors it's so hard to control they do what they want to do you have to learn to just work with it move with it uh to hopefully convince it that it should become this image that you see in your head whereas like with acrylic and oils you can just like force them to do anything you want like beat them into submission but with watercolors can't always do that they have a mind of their own i like i like that chaos because i'm no longer fully in control of of what's going to happen with digital 100 in control yeah and you can you can go back and correct a mistake yeah it feels like it, it, in digital in analog if you fuck up a mistake oh man that painting is gone so you gotta yeah. work around it that that's part of the beauty too i love when you see an artist who is an amazing even if they do ink, watercolor, any water-based medium, when you see a mark on the page, they did that with confidence. Actually, you can see if they didn't do it with confidence. When people send me their images and they're like, tell me how to be better, I look at it and I'm like, you have zero confidence. I can look at a person's drawing and know if they intentionally made a decision or if it was an accident that maybe worked or maybe didn't. There's something about real life consequences we die right like that's that's human we we begin and we end with digital like you can go forward you can go backward you can erase there's zero consequences that's part of the romance i think it's it's when you make a mark on a page with with ink or watercolor that's real life consequences that's a, a direct reflection of humanity of being a human being a person in the world you make a decision you have to live with it in a lot of ways, I've learned that when I make a decision, if it's not exactly what I wanted, I can still turn it into something on the page to be beautiful, to work. And I think that's like life, right? When the obstacle is in your path, you don't push it out of the way, right? Usually those obstacles are there. They're called obstacles because you can't just move it out of the way. You have to make the obstacle the way. It's that that stoic philosophy of turning the, the bad things in your life into good things. Uh, and I really feel like that's where watercolor, where ink, where even pencil sometimes you you have to make a decision. I think it's it's just so much more human. Yeah, it's interesting. You talked about the the confidence in someone's work and that you can see it. Right. And I think it's very much the same with menswear. Like mm. there are people who have all the confidence in the world with it, with an outfit. And, and you yeah. see that in them. And then there are people who you can tell are it, it more, it looks more like a costume because yeah. they don't have confidence. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I can say this about Jay. Cause like you see Jay wears, you know, 
men's wear on a daily basis. Jay has confidence with you know what he wears, and it comes across. Yeah, good, it's so positive. Yeah, yeah. And I, a lot of that has to do with I think Jay's confidence with it comes from you know understanding like all these intricacies of the fabrics and the construction, you know, and very technical knowledge of it. And he pulls it together in such a good way. And you see other people who do that. And then you might see someone wearing a suit that they, they look like they're outside their own body with like, they, they are not comfortable or confident at all. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's a great point. I actually remembered thinking about that early on in our conversation. I don't remember what we were talking about, but confidence makes everything so much more yeah. beautiful. Um, yeah, I, there's, you look at Shuhei Nishiguchi and you, you just have to think he must be one of the most confident people in the world, puts different things together all the time. Perfect every time. And honestly, I bet nobody could wear a lot of what he wears. It's, it's yeah. that con you genetics help, uh, but confidence, man, makes such a big difference. And we were talking about watches earlier too. I think there's the same thing with watches. There are people who pull off certain pieces that, you know, probably like, especially when we talked about the big watches, right? Like you, you, yeah. you feel like you really want like this massive, like dinner plate watch. Yeah. Right. And then the confidence of being able to pull off, like, and especially if you have a small wrist, I see some guys look like they're swimming in a, in like a 50 millimeter, <laughs> 60 millimeter, uh, you know, uh, dial and, you know, it doesn't look good, but then some guys with tiny wrists pull it off. Yeah. It becomes a part of them. Yeah. And like, if you have the confidence, it, it goes such a long way. And, you know, we were talking about, you are talking about like uh, our narcissist culture is like a living thing and it's really moving away from fashion, but, you know, style at the same time, you know, style and fashion is such a, a fluid you know, personal thing. And if you have the confidence to pull off a personal style, then, you know, it, it can work. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we were Absolutely. talking before about like, the guys who wear denim on denim on denim on denim. Right. And there's a confidence yeah. to be able to pull off like all that denim. Yeah. 100%. Yo, Matt, I'm a what's your favorite hat maker? Who's your favorite Ooh. hat maker? My favorite hat maker? Yeah. Supervillain <sighs> Haberdashery in Bangkok. <laughs> wait wait do you make hats uh, yeah like caps yeah okay oh that's your cap yeah this is one of them this is a prototype i you know this All is like right. one of the first ones i made that was actually wearable oh very nice well, i love Dana, that okay like a million things like i'm learning about him every day every podcast we're doing, <laughs> like, fuck you do that too <laughs> <laughs> What do you mean you were a swimming instructor? <laughs> a swimming instructor. I just told that to her the one time. Oh, well, I'm going to check out your hats. You are to a random girl and she was fine. <laughs> so who's your favorite hat maker though? Because you definitely have your hat game on point. Yeah. Yeah. Look, so I, I, I'm somewhere between rings and watches. I know enough about hats that I can talk passionately about them, but I also know enough that I can't go too deep. So this will be a, a, a decent conversation to have. So the hat that I'm wearing right now, it's a soft felt. Um, and this is a Shudi Brothers, S-H-U-D-D-E, Shudi Brothers hat. Company doesn't exist anymore. Um, based in Houston some many years ago. Um, this was found in some guy's attic or something still smells like it i'm trying to air it out but um 
beautiful. Like the felt is so great, but it's a soft felt hat. So Eamon Carter was a, a financial magnate here in the DFW area, uh, kind of a fashion icon as well for his time here. And he wore the soft felt hat. So the idea is um, you can kind of adjust the cap. Now you're not supposed to touch the, the caps because you're, the oils of your skin are going to degrade the felt over time. So the more you do this, the more of a no-no it is. But I can basically like tap in these spaces on the hat to shape it the way that I want it. I can create all the different styles of hat that I want. I love, 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 love this hat. This is Shooty Brothers Vintage from the 1960s, I think. Um, company doesn't exist anymore. I have another hat from a young guy here in DFW. He's called the Heart Hatter because um, the crown is in the shape of a heart. This kid, so much passion, so much energy. He just decided he wanted to make hats. So he built a, a head measuring device where he goes around, whoever commissions him to do a hat, like he puts this device on your head and that's how he measures you for his hats. Um, he makes them all bespoke, custom from scratch. Uh, he even like outfitted this van that he can take around the country and he can make the hats in this van and do house calls. Uh, he does crazy, crazy things. I'm not, I'm not that, like I'm an artist, but I, like I'm not that crazy. Uh, I like uh, things that are a little bit more conservative in its style, like like this hat here. Like a hat in itself these days is pretty crazy. So I don't want to go overboard with my craziness. Yeah. Um, but he, oh man, he makes great hats. I have one of his, it's fantastic. Um, I, I really like the bespoke hat makers right now. They're great hat companies, um, Laird, Optico, Optimo, oh, ooh. In Chicago. I don't remember exactly how that goes. Stetson here in Dallas. Um, uh, Borsellino in Italy. Love all of these hat companies. Hat companies don't really make it in this world anymore. So the fact that these companies still exist is, is it's beautiful. I love it. Um, Why do you say they don't make it in the world anymore? What was that? Why do you say they don't make it anymore? Uh, there's just not demand. People don't really wear hats. It's, it's kind of a... Uh, funhouse item, right? Except for the few of us who really appreciate uh, where hats come from and, and the history behind them. It, the the business, it's such a hard business to run. Um, Gorin has been around forever, started in Pittsburgh. They moved to San Francisco. Stetson has been around forever. If Cowboys didn't wear hats, I don't know how Stetson would survive just in general. Um, and then you have like the tradition in, in England. So it's, it's a little bit more established there still. But in the US, unless you're a crazy young person who can live on their own and is a contractor or an entrepreneur, you don't really wear a hat. There's no, there's no outlet for it. So you might, you might buy one accidentally just for fun. Or might, somebody might get you one as a gift. But to run a hat business, that's hard. Hard respect that these businesses have been around for so long and are still making it work. That's amazing to me. Um, but I think we're, the the real game right now is bespoke hat making, um, like the heart hatter. There are to, so many young people making bespoke hats. Uh, I don't know where the whole industry goes as a whole, but that's, that's really where you're going to find interesting quality hats out in the world right now. And they're everywhere. I keep finding pop up all over the place. Um, so you can probably find them in Thailand as well. People just making hats on their own. What, what, what kind of materials do you like? What do you, what do you lean towards? I'm a beaver guy. It's classic. Okay. So, and I, I'm going to sweat no matter what. That's, 
an unfortunate aspect of who I am as a person. Yeah. I just sweat. So I can wear a lightweight hat, a heavy hat, doesn't matter. I'll wear it all because I'm just going to sweat no matter what. So I'm not, I'm not too worried. Hmm. So beaver. Now, if you were living in, like you lived in Malaysia, there's no rocking beaver hats in Malaysia. No, I, I look, I've done it. I have done it. And I just like drenched it, a hat, t-shirt and shorts. That's, that was the look. Uh, beaver, a beaver hat in, you were walking around Georgetown with a beaver hat. Oh, you know what? Actually, no. The hat I had, it was a, it was a full, it was a full wool hat, but it was not, it was not beaver. So I'm, I'm glad we thought that through. It was not beaver, but it was a heavy wool hat. Yeah. Um, but it was not beaver, but I would now that I have full beaver. Lifestyle. Committed to the lifestyle. Committed, yeah. Like Jay with the three piece suits in Thailand. <laughs> yeah, but he, but he, he wears it. He rocks it. Yeah. Or sometimes he showed up. We did a podcast um, on my YouTube channel where he he showed up with a Jay. What was that like a tiger stripe military jacket? Yeah, yeah. Wait, but who did this? Uh, I did it. Fresh shirt with like a military uh, overcoat. Nice. But that's 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 done a lot in the menswear world, though. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. You but it had a tiger stripe though. I I bought this and I was like. Um, and then um, they they have this like a pen hole thing, and I um, I don't write I don't like uh, I you know, my handwriting is so bad. My high school teachers told me I will never amount to anything because <laughs> it's terrible. And uh, luckily, right. world uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> luckily we're living in the world where WhatsApp and email and everything took over. You don't really have to write anymore, other than scribble yeah. some signature for a credit card bill or something. Uh, so. Yeah. Uh, and I, I bought this expensive pen just to start trying to write again. Um, and, uh, I didn't know where to put it, so I put it with the Tiger Camo. That hole, I was so like happy that, oh, you have a hole to put a pen. <laughs> yeah. Why would soldiers need that hole? <laughs> do soldiers write? Do they need to do that? <laughs> what is that? It's like a vintage Korean uh, military jacket? I bought it in Thailand, but I think it's American. It's, no, uh-huh. Americans never use that Tiger Stripe that you have. <laughs> During the war, no, they had solid green uh, camels in Vietnam. It was it was Cambodia. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think I think it's a Korean, like a Vietnam era, but like I think it's a Korean pattern. Tiger tiger camel. Yeah. Interesting. That tiger stripe. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, America's always had like ugly uh, camel patterns. <laughs> now it's like digital. Um... Yeah. Now they have digital. Yeah. Yeah, actually, you know which one I like though. I have a uh, I have a bandana that's made from um, first Desert Storm era. They call it the uh, Desert Chocolate Chip Camo, and so it's like a Ooh. desert camo with like little black specks in it. Yeah, I had to do like a series to print uh, jacketing fabrics for different camo, and I had to do some research. Uh, I like the chocolate chip camo, but that's yeah. that was very hard to find on on the internet. Yeah, it's tough. It's tough to even like uh, buy those now. But yeah, that was like nineteen. What was that early nineties? Was the first Desert Storm? Mm-hmm. I think I was wow. in like sixth grade. Wow. Do you ever rock a military wear kind of like a Alessandro Scorsi kind of wear like a you know a safari jacket and stuff like that? I mean, it would be suitable. You you do wear. Oh. Hat, you live in Fort Worth. Yeah, I, I have a, a an amazing utility jacket from uh, Apollos. Based out of Los Angeles, uh, it make 
it's one of my favorite utility jackets I've ever had. I have another one from Relwin out of the Midwest, and it's fine. I, I like it well enough, but this one from Apollos is fantastic. But if it comes to camo of any sort, I, I, I can't do it. No, you tried it? I have. And I look at camo, and it just like, there's something about it that makes my whole body seize up, and I like want to not die, but like... <laughs> I don't know what it is. I can't do it though. I like the camo patterns, but yeah, I'm the same way. I don't wear it. So yeah. like, uh, like I, I like like a more the solid colors. I like those military cuts though, especially like the military overcoats. The cuts are great. Yeah, yeah. the shapes, the the cuts of the pattern. Yeah, useful. It but is yeah, so the, fun. The camo patterning itself, like I don't know, Jay's tiger stripe is actually really cool because it's unique. But like, yeah. I, I would never go out and rock like U.S. Army camo pattern with anything like and also in America. It's kind of like a very sort of unique thing. Like like you think of like homeless vets, something unfortunate like that or like uh -huh. militia men from like Michigan or like Mon like guys who live in Montana on a ranch and talk about overthrowing the government. Like I don't want to <laughs> yeah. be with that group. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, those are yeah, your that, friends. That's not wrong with those guys, you know, but <laughs> it's so say. funny yeah. how like culture is so uh different. Like it, it's so in Naples, uh in Italy, they love wearing US Army uh mm. and like there's a whole cult behind it. Yeah, uh, okay. and uh it's 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 brought into the the menswear world a lot, but how yeah. you put interesting it was very well, I think if you're from america like like at least i grew up in the northeast right so not a very military centric part of the country and then i you like yeah. i think of like dudes who just wear camo on a regular basis as like like militia men who want to like overthrow the government and like hang out at compounds on the weekend with their buddies oh, it, in, yep. in, in the world is is these like tiny ass hong kong guys who work in the financial world who wear uh camouflage yeah no no so, it, so in asia it's different right like if i wore it here people yeah. would be like oh that's cool if i wore that back in the states people would be like you know what you overthrowing the government this weekend what are you doing like, <laughs> like the man what do you have at home will <laughs> hat buddy yeah i think you could get away with it in new york in New York, you can do anything, but yeah, anywhere else, if you're wearing it, yeah, the, the connotations, like, it just says something about who you are. Yeah, I mean, even if, like, you try to dress it up, like, like I said, there's, there's, there's military-inspired clothing, and like I said, I love the cuts of military, like, especially modern military gear. Can you that... pull this for a second? See, like, yeah. this is my friend Nicola Radano. Nicola, from yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, he went to U.S. Uh, wearing this tobacco suit with uh, this is in uh, New York, yeah, with that yeah. jacket. What do you think about that, Dana? No, I think he looks great. Like, like I, I think, you know, he's the way he's got the suit. You know, the the shoes. I can't. It, it's a little small for me. Can you enlarge the picture for me, Jay? It's um, it's Instagram, so I it's can't like do. It. You're on a Mac. Just double, like double touch, and it will zoom. No, I I'm not on a Mac. I'm on a Windows. Oh, yeah. You know, so I look at and I can't zoom because I'm in the studio. Um, but like I look at the suit, right? I love the way the suit, like he's got the two-tone brown going on there, and then he's got the the shoes. 
And with the beanie and the jacket pulled over, I think he pulls it together really nicely. And again, it looks like with those orange plates, he's in New York, New York somewhere. Yeah, um, yeah. On the cars behind him, and 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 I think like uh, we were saying, like in New York, you can probably pull off a a lot of things. And the juxtaposition of the suit with the military jacket here, it is really fun. But like I think if you wore that in like Ohio or Michigan, people would be really questioning, like, (laughs) "Hey, what what's up, buddy?" I will say though, like even if you just wore the suit in Ohio or Michigan, people might be like. Yeah, you look like you're going to the office. What's happening here? Yeah. So, I mean, I love the juxtaposition of the two pieces, the two styles contrasting. And like I said, that, that suit looks amazing on its own, you know, yeah. as it is. I mean, the, those colors were just phenomenal. That's uh, Huddersfield fabric, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Oh, nice one. Good. Yeah. It's, a, it's a mohair. Um, oh, no, it's a, it's a merino wool. Huh? I lost your audio for some reason. On me or, or what? Yeah, I can hear you. You cannot. I can hear you fine. So. Yeah, I hear you both. Yeah. So this is Jay having issues. <laughs> oh. It's a Windows. Yeah. Oh, is he, yeah. It's good he's working on Windows. That's why he doesn't have his Mac. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is my so game. A Mac and a PC, Jay? Yeah, yeah. The Mac is for work. And uh, this is my gaming computer purely. Ah, yeah. I mean, I bought it right in time before quarantine, and uh, <laughs> yeah. And what, Gaming. what was the game that came out right before quarantine? Doom. The no, one was it Modern Warfare or something? The one Eric was all crazy about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Call of Duty. Call of Duty. Uh, yeah. yeah. I'm not. Other than like games on my phone, I'm not a big gamer. Are you a gamer, Matt? I have no movies, there's one no game games. On, uh, there's one iPad game that I kept we're, playing. We're losing him again. Well, you're losing me? No, I got you. Okay. It's just Jay again. Yeah. Like, I can't I can't do video games. I sometimes I have a bad attitude and uh video games uh bring out the worst. So what's you said one iPad game you like? Oh yeah, it's called Polytopia. It's like a um what do you call that? A strategy war game where okay. you just take your turn. Um, and you try to take over the board from all the other tribes. Very addicting. I got seriously, I've been addicted for months. I, four days ago, told my wife, I'm like, I have to stop playing because I'm seeing these graphics in everyday life. <laughs> it's it's like changing my brain. So I, I haven't played in, in days. And I played for about three months, four months straight since Christmas last year. Mm. Um, but I don't, like, I don't play video games. So when that happens, usually I just, play for a week and i'm done if it's like yeah. a dumb phone pad game but this one just hasn't stopped so it's doing something weird to my brain so i feel oh, cold turkey ain't so well right because you have the attention the long attention span when you do something you know what i think like they, they say hand-eye coordination is a, a great advantage of, of video games like i always try to play halo with my friends and call of duty i was terrible completely terrible and i can draw without even thinking that's hand-eye coordination to me but when it came to games like i couldn't get the joysticks to do anything mm. uh, still frustrates me Oof. <laughs> yeah, every now and then i'll play like i like that new mario kart game on the uh the iphone other than that i'm 
I don't have time for uh, like long drawn out games. That's the other side. I'm painting all day. Yeah. What are you right working now, on? All day. We're making masks because uh, of the mask shortage. That's so right. My wife and I are just sewing all nonstop right. making uh, fabric masks. Do you have your own custom you painted, Matt? Uh, no. I should. Here's the problem. It has to be washable. Otherwise, you wear it once and you have to throw it away. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah so we're making so common washable masks. That's great. Great. We just had uh, one CEO here in Bangkok order for his whole team, and then he like he funded a bunch of other ones to donate. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah, that's so, great. I mean, that, there's a quite a few people here in the states who are doing the just hand sewn masks, trying to kick them yeah, out. A lot, a lot of like people, a lot of like makers, especially like I've seen in the U.S. and, and around the world, really stepped up and try to like help out because, like hospitals. I talked to a friend in. Um, in Wisconsin the other day, she's a nurse. Her husband's a, a critical care doctor. They have no masks. Yeah. 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 All the photos that are coming out, you see people wearing these crazy masks, just whatever random thing people can find. Yeah. Um, yeah a friend of mine in Rhode Island too, she, her and her twin sister are both nurses at hospitals and they're zero masks available. Her grandmother is sewing masks for nurses. Wow. There are none. Wow. Yeah. The the announcement just came out. The the Federal Reserves of Emergency Equipment have just about run out. So wow. everything now has to be made new. So the shoe company Allen Edmonds is uh, they're making five thousand N95 masks a day. They've reallocated a lot of their workers. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So I mean, you know, people are stepping up. Yeah. Just somehow need more all the time. More. Well, you know, the N95s are for one use, right? One so, and done. Yeah, and, and they have to be because they're their nature. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I'm, like I'm not knocking it at all. Yeah. Listen, Matt, I hope you take good care of yourself and I hope uh, everybody. <laughs> not all. <laughs> Jay's like, get him out of here. He's got to go. Get him out. Jay's like, I want to go play video games. He's like, we we're just talking about Call of Duty and uh, got a got a fight scheduled. <laughs> so, actually, it's gonna be pretty late for you though, Matt. Huh? Oh yeah. So uh, what's well, almost eleven o'clock here? Yeah. Yeah. I should probably get to bed. I'm an old man. I gotta get my rest. Yeah. Wake got, up and get to work. We're in the middle of our day now. Uh yes. All right. Well, all yeah, right. oh, I've taken up two hours. Oh, wow. That's all good. One, one okay. forty-five. All right. So, you know, before we before we uh, wrap it up here, Matt, though, you know, Sunflower Man is your Instagram. We'll have the links in in the show notes. But anywhere else, people can find your work and contact you. Uh, yeah. I mean, if if you forget where to look, just type Sunflower Man into whatever browser you're using. I'll pop up. Yeah, so, why that name? Before we go, why that name? Oh yeah, it's a it's a cute story. I'll tell you, uh, it's a good way to to end. So I was uh, ten years old, going to this summer camp, and you know, ten years old, you love superheroes. What else is there in the world? And so I'm at this summer camp, and and this year we had a skit class, and we had to pull an item out of the bag, and turn it into a skit. So ten years old, love superheroes. I pull out the shower curtain, take a look at it. It's covered in sunflowers. It's just immediately drape it over my shoulders, tie it off. I became Sunflower Man that day. 
uh, and I haven't looked back. Matt's still back there somewhere, uh, wondering where, wondering where Sunflower Man went. Uh, but here I am. <laughs> so, yeah. guys, if you want to check out Matt's work, Sunflower Man on Instagram, all his links will be down in the show notes. Matt, thank you so much for your time. Don't thank forget you. to subscribe. We are on YouTube. Anywhere you find podcasts, you'll be able to find this episode. And we'll see you next time. Dana, Jay, thank you so much. Thank you, brother. Thank you.